This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Big Foot Collectors Club with Bryce, Michael, and Ivy. I know a story of high strangeness or two. <laughs> Let's do this. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I am your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, Riley Bray. He's back, but he's back. sort of not back. <laughs> I'm, I'm back, but he's for back, some reason... Baby. The internet's real bad, so I don't talk a lot in this episode. But just so you guys know, I am here and I'm fascinated. I just pictured you. We're in the time machine, everybody. It's fine. I just pictured you uh, when we were chatting with today's guests. Just you taking a little nap under your desk, George (laughs) Costanza style. It's been a long day, you know. It's fine. Yeah. Well, this is one of our expert episodes. This is when we bring in people who know a lot more about these subjects than we do. And we have a doozy of a subject and some really Mm. cool experts this week we have two uh, of the filmmakers behind the new documentary called Aerial Phenomenon, which is all about the area school encounter. We're going to get all into it. It's a big mass close encounter sighting. Um, a really cool documentary. If you want to watch that first, go ahead and check it out. But if you haven't uh, seen it, this 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 conversation okay. is. Yeah, it's very much about the event itself. So it doesn't ruin the documentary. And also you won't be lost in this conversation if you uh, haven't heard it. So we're talking with the director, Randall Nickerson, and Rebecca Rideout, who's associate producer. And as we talk about, a fellow club and scout. And so. also a club scout and yeah. Patreon. Yeah, so and Cosmeteer. A Cosmeteer, yeah. yeah. Cosmeteer. There you go. We love it. Speaking of, guys, speaking of the Patreon, Riley, you weren't here as we were closing out last week's episode, and we queued up. Now, I I believe it's dropped. Uh, If it hasn't, it's going to within a matter of days. But uh, we finally did. We finally looked to see what was going on in the bathroom of your home and see if we could <laughs> oh, con- do you want to tell do you want to tell our listeners who are not familiar with the other side what we did for this special yeah. Patreon episode okay here's the setup everyone so multiple people separate from each other have told me that they sent something in the bathroom at my house <laughs> uh someone referred to it as weight 
Someone referred to it as feeling like they were uh, like a heavy blanket was put over them when they walked in. Yeah. Adela just straight up said, "You know, there's ghosts in your bathroom, right?" Yeah, Adela looked fine. <laughs> or I think she said a ghost. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it's it's happened enough times, and I've ignored it for long enough that I was like, "All right, you know what? We're gonna get to the bottom of this." So we called in two of our experts um, with very different approaches. We had um, Adela, uh, who comes in with a more uh, intuitive approach. And uh, then we had Linda, Linda the, the ghost, ghost hunter. Yep, Sorry, exactly. I'm Linda so the ghost excited. hunter. I know you're so excited. <laughs> We're very excited. Linda the ghost hunter comes in with with her tech and her tools and everything, and we had them each independently go in and check out the space and do what they do. And then we had a nice roundtable discussion about the whole thing. And I will tell you, if you've been waiting to join the Patreon, this is, this is the it. moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, guys, it's a double blind ghost test with uh, two Come experts on. who agreed to do it. They were like, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll pit yeah. each other against our, each other. Sure. Let's <laughs> yeah. go. It, it's a, it's a, it's a different format of a, of a audio episode than, than here. Mm-hmm. So it really does kind of work better on the other side, but I, I will say, and I don't want to get into any spoilers or what's happened since, but, um, I have not stopped thinking about that night. That was a pretty fucking cool yeah. night. Yeah, it, it was really great, was. man. I it, the night did not disappoint. I hope the episode does not either. I don't great. think it does. Yeah, and um, yeah. If you want to know more, check it out. Patreon.com. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. It feels like you know we're getting into some new territory as the BCC nice. boys, and you yeah. know what? Mm-hmm. I don't mind it. Yeah, no, in the we're, last we're six months, our Scooby Doo era, really. Yeah, in the last yes, six months, we, we, we went on a Bigfoot hunt and a ghost hunt, and we only lost the audio for one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, this oh, one we're man. calling a ghost expedition because we weren't, I, we weren't hunting for the ghost. I think it was so a ghost quest. Oh, ghost we call it ghost quest. That's yeah, ghost, ghost quest. Yes, ghost it was quest. a ghost quest. That's right. We don't want to hurt any. Which ghosts. Sounds like an '80s arcade game, which I yeah, totally ghost better. quest. <laughs> All right, let's get into this week's episode because we have a lot to talk about about things that are not ghosts, although maybe. Maybe, maybe they could be. Who even knows who this high strange stuff? All right, here's our conversation with the team behind Aerial Phenomenon. All right, Club Scouts, get ready because we have two, I'm going to say, experts on a subject that uh, is a bottomless well of fascination for me. I know it is for Bryce and Riley as well. They are part of the filmmaking team behind the new documentary about a 1994 mass close encounter called Aerial Phenomenon, which is available to see now on multiple streaming platforms. Club Scouts of all timelines, please welcome associate producer and fellow Club Scout, Rebecca Rideout, and director, Randall Nickerson. Woo! Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on. Oh, man, we are so excited. You two have stayed up very late on the East Coast, so you can join us here on the West Coast. Um, I... I mean, I don't even know where to begin with the whole aerial thing. I know Bryce has a bunch of questions lined up as well. <laughs> but why don't we start with welcoming uh, Rebecca, who is a official Club Scout. Uh, and a Patreon. A, yeah, longtime Patreon a listener of the show. It's so, <laughs> so exciting to have someone who's been listening who is also involved with the phenomenon itself uh, in a much... Yeah. Much more artistic and formal way than we are. How did how did Rebecca? How did you get into this subject, and how did you find Randall and and team up with him for this project? Great question. <laughs> Thanks for having me. First of all, um, well, Randall and I met at a networking event. I've been doing video production since you know high school, 
making many videos about ghosts and the phenomenon in general. Um, but, you know, have a video production company and met uh, Randall at a networking event out um, for the Berkshire Film and Media Collaborative, I think they're called. Um, so we had to write our names on our name tags and our favorite films. But something got into me that night. I didn't want to write some sort of like highbrow film. I wanted to think of one that I'd <laughs> loved as a kid and as an adolescent. So I wrote Contact. And oh, yeah. As I manifested, I guess, meeting each other. Neither of us, do you remember meeting Randall? I don't quite remember meeting that oh, night yeah. or what, what you had on I your remember. name tag. Well, I, I had uh, the movie, I spelt it wrong. It was called Jupiter Ascending, and I put oh, Jupiter yeah. Rising. <laughs> uh, it was one of my favorite movies at the state. It's still a really excellent film uh, con concept. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it was interesting. You know, and when, when I met Rebecca, like, uh, I was starting to really look for crew, you know, more mm -hmm. so. And, uh, and I had her name on my wall for like a year <laughs> before I called you, finally called you and said, Hey, would you be interested? And we met for lunch and <laughs> it was really cool how it happened. And it's been a wonderful working relationship. It's been awesome. And so Randall, you were looking to, uh, to crew up for this project, Ariel Phenomenon at that time. Yeah, because I'd been working on it alone for a long time, and uh, I kind of got stuck when I got into post-production and mm. uh, did several versions myself of the movie, and then was like, okay, I need help. You're yeah, like, no. I need to find someone who has an exclusive production company all about filming ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it was, it was Anne first. She started to help me, yeah. and then uh, Chris Seward, who... I needed somebody to help me tell the story well. And uh, and then Rebecca and then Rick. Yeah. DeGress uh, came on and we all kind of worked together. And When I came on, yeah, he said, you know, come over and watch some movies about aliens at my house. <laughs> it was a little Sold. hesitant. Um, but eventually I did it. <laughs> They're what? all like home movies. <laughs> 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 what movies? What movies were you watching so I, to get? So in, I came to his house and he sh he sat me down and I watched all of the raw interviews from the adult wow. students um, from Ariel School wow. and that was certainly a paradigm shift day for me. I mean, I hadn't been involved with ufology at all, um, and I walked out of this house that day and I just didn't know what to make of it because. Mm. They're not bullshitting. They're completely authentic throughout the entire interview. They're obviously affected by it, and I couldn't explain it. So six years later, I'm well, still involved because I still can't explain what the heck they saw, but they, I definitely believe yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> and I think, I think this is the perfect segue into this case. Uh, for those who are listening who are not familiar, and by the way, we covered – you know, the, the Cliff's Notes version of this back in, I think, what was it, episode 33, 38, Bryce? It was early. Yeah, was that's wild, right. Uh, yeah. It was a while back. Um, and uh, remind, let, let's let our listeners know, uh, Randall, uh, for those who are not familiar with the area school phenomenon, can you give us a brief description as to what supposedly took place? Sure. On uh, 1994, September 16th, uh, rural farm community and school in uh, Zimbabwe. And uh, they were out on recess in the morning, these children, a whole bunch of them. And uh, 
they reported seeing this thing in the sky first going across the sky. And then all of a sudden that thing was on the ground about 150, 200 yards from the edge of the playground. And actually that distance seems much closer now when you Mm -hmm. go there. All the kids say, God, it wasn't that far away. Um, But they saw these things getting out of this object and really bright lights, very shiny. And then, and uh, then one of these, at least one, um, cause there was multiple accounts, uh, but at least one of them approached very closely to the group of kids that were gathering at the playground. Wow. Uh, then the kids were asked to do, you know, the teachers didn't believe them. Nobody believed them when they came screaming in to a staff meeting. Uh, and the, one of the parents that the kids went home and told their parents and the parents called the school. They were irate. Like what, what did you do to our kids? Yeah. And, uh, and the parents got in touch with uh, the BBC reporter. He showed up on the Monday following and uh, started interviewing these kids. And that's kind and that of how was it was. Ted, Ted Tim, Leach? Is Tim Leach? Tim Leach, Tim Leach I yeah. And they had the kids do drawings. Uh, and uh, that's kind of – and then, then, then there was interview after interview after that. And then Dr. John Mack from Harvard came out there and interviewed them as well and – and we're going to get into some of these details and and th- what happened in the days that follow. But can you briefly describe what these entities that came out of the ship looked like, according to the kids? According to the kids, they were about the same size as them. Uh, you know, a, a sixth grader actually referred to that. Several of the kids noted their heights, that they were small. You know, they were not that big, but their heads were enormous in comparison to their bodies. They were wearing mm. some, some kind of extremely tight, very shiny um, body suit. That's how the kids describe it. It was black. Uh, their eyes were black, very large, wrapped around the side of their head. Um, nose and mouth were extremely small in comparison. Uh, the way they moved was odd, like, you know, multiple reports of them um, not really walking like they were in gravity of in the earth's gravity Uh, and also some kind of just manipulation of time that was experienced and also and it's amazing to hear kids try to tell talk about this but some form of telepathy which the kids were like, somehow it was in my conscience, consciousness, you know, they didn't even know that word, but they knew that something was communicated between these. Yeah, the enti- little, one of the little girl goes, it was my conscience talking to me, my mm-hmm. conscience, mm-hmm. you know, which was mm-hmm. like, I was like, that's actually a great way if you're a kid and you don't understand telepathy or because we all have that inner voice and we're all aware of it as a child, you know, that. That ma- and it made me go, well, maybe that's what telepathy sounds like. Maybe it sounds like the voice we hear in our heads, but, but you know, taken away and, you know, written by somebody else, I guess. <laughs> that's great. That's Randall, I, I, oh, <laughs> okay. I want to jump in here because I, I, I think something else that was really interesting is, is a lot of the community in and around Zimbabwe had seen objects in the sky a few nights prior. Uh, and as a matter of fact, there was a, a MUFON uh, investigator, Cynthia Hyde, who wrote a case about it 
where she says, you know, a pyrotechnic display of some magnificence appeared in the almost clear night skies of this part of the continent. And she goes on to say that multiple witnesses, including scientists, astronomers, and even three pilots had come forward to say that they saw these. What do you think the parallel or the significance is going on here that this took place two nights prior? And then two days later, we have this landing at a schoolyard. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it was going on for about a week, these sightings mm. from all over the country, including other countries. Uh, so it was happening a couple of days before, the night before. Uh, that's where I kind of focused a lot more of my energy and research was what happened the night before. Yeah. And then even, even the day after the evening, the day and evening after there were sightings of these, you know, flying, floating discs or whatever you want to call them. Interesting. Um, and people saw them, you know, very low to the ground, changing direction, have people had them over their head. I mean, there's hundreds of witnesses to this that, uh, I couldn't even interview all the other witnesses around this event. This seemed to be like the pinnacle of the event, in, hmm. unless, unless I missed yeah, something. Yeah, I was just going to say, Brando <laughs> went for two different times before going back with the crew, with, with the student that gets followed, and spent months there, right? I mean, basically lived yeah, in Africa. Yeah, I lived there for a year year and three months. Wow. wow. Tracking people down and uh, tracking the archival footage down because I found out there was so much more. It's like, oh, that's important. I could, yeah. I could not believe how much video and original archival footage you guys had access to. Talk to us about, A, I want to hear a little bit more about the area itself and how, you know, how the area has been affected. Because we get into some of the kids and obviously who are now all grown up. But how did you find this community still affected by this event? Mm-hmm. And then how did you track, how did you figure out how to find some of the stuff that you guys used. Yeah, there's a lot of archival sources <laughs> to be licensed <laughs> and researched. <laughs> um, so that was a huge part of it. But yeah, I mean, Tim Leach, the BBC reporter that was the first on the scene, I don't think anybody knew he existed and Randall found him. Um, and he's the one that shot all the first first footage of the, the kids on scene. So um and he was a war correspondent who who came in somewhat skeptical, right? I mean, he was yeah. like, "Okay, let's get to the bottom of this. What kind of airplanes were you guys seeing?" And <laughs> and uh, he had a profound experience of uh, a paradigm shift as well. It sounds like, yeah, it still blows his. You know, he passed away unfortunately, but you know, up to the last days of his life, he was like, "It just blew my mind." Still, you can still blew his mind. You can see mm. it in his face in those interviews yeah. where he's <laughs> yeah, just—he sure. looks like a man who is bewildered and trying to put it all together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I think that's a, a point. Is is like uh, you know, in 1994, I don't know if if it was in the zeitgeist as much as it is today. So, and and especially in in a place like Zimbabwe, this must have felt all new to the entire community. Did you guys get a sense of that? Or did, did people have a feeling of, I mean, obviously the UFO and alien topic wasn't on the, the tip of people's tongues around that time, was it? No. Uh, I feel like, I mean, they're still talking about it. I mean, it's mm. never, it's never left. Everybody knows about it, you know, around, we ran into people in Botswana and other countries that you mean, oh, you mean the alien thing, that area, like people knew about it, strangers knew about that happening because it did make its rounds in Africa. 
Um, I think it varied you with know, the, I still, the student body if they had access to TV or not. I think most didn't. Um, I think some of yeah. the more wealthy families did, but I, I think Correct. most of the students had never watched those kind of programs yeah, before. Kids didn't have any access. And global media was so different than, I mean, I think we forget, but, you know, X-Files, I think, was airing here. But that was back in the day where, like, even English-speaking, predominantly English-speaking countries like, you know, Britain, Great Britain, like, wouldn't get friends until, like, two or three years later. You know what I mean? So now, today with Netflix, you know, some things that hit everywhere all at once, but... Um, no, I think it was Emily who's in the film that said they would get VHS tapes of American TV shows like a year after they came off. They their families would mail them to them from Canada yeah. or the U.S. <laughs> Mostly cartoons and, and stuff like that, not really alien stuff. Right? Yeah, you know? and a lot of um, and a lot of uh, families that seem to be at least a couple that were pretty Christian and seemed to not be open to these ideas to begin with because they sort of contradict uh, lessons they're learning from the Bible. Correct. Yeah. There was a variety of different interpretations, you know, depending on whether they, it was a Shona, the kids were from the Shona village. Uh, That's more like animism. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they all, and ancestors, real heavy focus on, these are our ancestors. Um, and then you have that all the way through um, some Muslim people were there. There were, you name it, every religion was really represented at that yeah, school. And the missionaries. And, and then you had the Christian uh, element. It was a Christian school, but they were very accepting of, um, you know, because it was such a mixed population, actually. That's what's so interesting so cool watching the movies you're like there's so many different kids representing so many different cultures here it really is a melting pot and if there was a purpose behind this landing and i'm not so sure there was you know what i mean i don't know i don't it almost felt accidental i think there was to me but um but it, it's an what, important what clue be- though isn't it yeah yeah but what better place than to be like, okay, there are a bunch of different kids from a bunch of different cultures here, you know, uh, racially mixed. This is a good place to like. And I love that they go to the kids instead of the adults. And it almost feels strange. Did you guys did you guys pick up any sense of there being anything weird about the fact? Or was it just coincidence that none of the adults, for, for whatever reason, were on the playground that day? That they all just happened to be in this this meeting? I mean, what are it's the odds? It's definitely weird. Well, I think it happened fairly often, though. The sense I get. What do you okay. think, well, Randall? There, were, there, were, there was one uh, person who was one of the teachers who was in the tuck shop, right. right? The curio shop. They would never leave them out there without an adult. Uh, right. It was a snack shop. So she was yeah. out there. Yeah, she was like in a little snack shop, but she couldn't see anything from her position. Right. And the window was way tucked into the building. And... You know, I did an overhead map of like, all right, who could have seen this from what vantage point? And it's like, this is, they pick, it's like the perfect spot. Mm-hmm. No adult could see it from their point of view. Uh, which, except for the first grade teacher, which is a whole nother story that's not in the movie, because she had the optimal viewpoint of this. And she was in charge of the the younger kids. Um, oh. So, yeah, there's a lot more to this story that didn't make the film. But, um, 
Yeah, that 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 does does interest me a lot. Uh, you know, they were having a meeting about wages. You know, their mm. pay for the next year. That was the meeting going on, and then you had the older kids, the seventh, sixth, seventh graders, who were prefects. So they were in charge of. They were really in charge. That's when if there was not enough adults, there's always usually two adults on that playground. There was only one, so the prefects had a job, and they were brought into this by the younger kids. And didn't believe the younger kids, you know, until they saw it themselves. Wow. It's just fascinating. But it's it's good to raise questions about it. That's for sure. Michael, this sounds like the perfect recess for you, like a dream come true recess. (laughs) You know, it's crazy. I once I don't want to make this about myself, but when I was when I was in second or third grade, I remember having this really and I grew up in the 80s, but I had this really creepy nightmare that a bunch of little gnomish, like gnome people visited our playground in these little like Shriner cars and clown cars and showed Mm. up and they were all wearing like David the Gnome style pointed hats. And it terrified me. And years later when I heard this story, I was like, wait, that reminds me of that dream I had where these like little alien like fairy creatures <laughs> visit us on the playground. So yeah. there's, I don't know, there's something archetypal about this, I feel like, underneath. Rebecca, when you were watching this footage, when you came over and watched these hours of footage, what, what, describe the process that you went through hearing all this stuff. I mean, your first take is just it. thinking about, you know, unsolved mysteries and the stereotypical alien gray um and then to hear the kids over and over describing it or the adults now describing it the same way um and these are people i just want to say that are whole people you know it's not like this has defined their life they're 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 my age actually the the oldest kids on the playground um are your and are my age and they grew up they have jobs they have families and they're sitting here in front of these, this camera t- saying something completely um, unrelatable for me. So, um, yeah, thinking about if if it could be true, I guess that's where your brain goes. If it could be true, what does that mean? Mm. I mean, and that and that just sort of it took about a year or two to 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 come to terms with. Wow. Well, it, well, if that means, what, if that means what it, I think it means, my entire worldview has shifted. You know. Of all the UFO cases, I mean, that are on the books, I mean, this one sort of rings of an authenticity, almost like none other that do, just because of the amount of people. I mean, this is a mass close encounter of the third kind. And, you know, these kids weren't, you know... You can't come to the conclusion that that these kids were, were were making this story up. At least John Mack came to that conclusion, and so so it just has this sort of freshness and authenticity that almost no other case does. Um, it stands at a, at a pinnacle for for maybe what's taking place. Uh, would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean they didn't they didn't seek fame from it. They didn't make money mm. on it. And they didn't ask for it, so it's it's right. it's a it's a mystery. That's all I'm gonna say. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think the thing that really struck me when I was watching the archival, because it was time after time, whether the kid was close to the edge of the playground, or he was in another position, or she was in another position, they were describing it from their point of view. 
Mm-hmm. And, and when they were being interviewed, they weren't checking in or looking around at the other kids like, do we got the right story? You know, they were telling it from their own personal viewpoint. And that was consistent throughout. I mean, there's so many more interviews that aren't in the movie, but they're stunning when you look at them all over time. Um, you know, they were interviewed right away, then a week later, then another week later, then a couple months later, and then six months later, then a year later or three years later. So you have this sort of consistency in time. The stories never change. And it's just it's told from first person perspective, you know, yeah. which is one I'm of the reasons why the movie is like not from anybody. It's it's from all their mouths. It's not there's no there's no third person or second person witness there. It's yeah. all first I've, I really liked the fact that I felt like, and this doesn't always happen with documentaries about UFO subjects, and I felt like you you guys did, and Randall, you particularly, got out of the way of the subject and mm. just presented the story. And in a way that was very giving to the people who experienced this, but also I didn't feel like you guys were pushing us as the audience to believe any of it, you know? And I'm curious, echoing a little bit of what Rebecca was describing a few minutes ago, when, for both of you individually, when was the moment watching this footage that you went, okay, I think my mind is changing? Was there a particular moment when you're like, okay, they got me, they got me, This, I think this happened? I mean, it's pretty heavy. Like, you don't really want it to be true. So, first of all, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> I, I I show this to friends and family, and they start just talking about all this as if it's real. And I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe it's not. <laughs> like, I don't. I'm not trying to make people believe it. So, I just want to put that out there. It's a pretty heavy um, topic, and I feel like I start watching the film every time, not believing it. And the, every time I see the mm. film by about, you know, a quarter, half the way through, I start going, oh, shit, <laughs> shit, mm. <laughs> I believe it again. Um, so, yeah, it's it happens to me every time. But I can't I can't pinpoint a certain moment um, beyond just watching those those raw interviews and and then all of the archival footage as I got more involved with it. What about you, Randall? Yeah. How, yeah, well, were you ever skeptical, Randall, or did you? Yeah, I had to be. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I went. I was really interested in like who who doesn't believe this, and what's their reasoning? You know, that was there, and uh, interviewed those people. And one of, one of the guys that one of the teachers, he had changed his mind. You know, by the time mm-hmm. I got to him, he and I said, "Well, well, you were pretty adamant back then." And he's like, he he says, uh, you know, I, what changed your mind? I asked him, and he said. Uh, the consistency over time, they've, they've never changed their story. And, uh, damn, I was waiting. I wanted to, I needed a, you know, <laughs> I needed a skeptic. Yeah. So I went to two astronomers who were also witness to things and that they couldn't explain. Um, but they were very skeptical about it being aliens or anything that happened at Ariel, which I understand. And when, you know, uh, strategic air command or, or, or air worn, when they heard that it was, the officials put out that it was a, you know, a meteorite at first, and then a, a rock, Russian rocket reentry. They um, nobody looked into it after that point because they took it as, oh, that's what it was. Um, right. But I think the thing that shifted me was the archival. When I started to get even more in, you know, mm. I was like, ah, oh, let's see, you know, and it just was more confirmatory. 
And then, and then it was interviewing the pilots. That's kind of really what I, you know, I started interviewing people that were doctors who had seen this thing, adults outside of the aerial uh, the night before and, and in the morning of aerial and the pilot, after I met with the pilot and he told me what he saw and, and he was with two other pilots to another aircraft and his co-pilot. And there were more pilots up there, the ones that mm. uh, Cynthia had in her book. Uh, but yeah, after hearing what he witnessed up there, I, that was because, you know, I don't know. I think he's got 25,000 hours up there. Really good man. Good pilot. He, you know, no reason to report it whatsoever. You know, what did he describe? Um, the, he described seeing this ball of light off his wingtip at 25,000 feet. And he had another aircraft coming up uh, on his right side to formate on him, believe it or not, in Africa. Like, airliners will, will fly in formation sometimes because they know right. each other. And we wouldn't see that over here. But uh, uh, And he thought it was that aircraft coming up on that side. And uh, he asked him, is that you on that side? And he said, no, that's I, I'm on your other side. And he said, well, what the heck is that? And they all saw it just like cross right in front of them and disappear over the horizon in within two or four seconds. So, you know, and it was at their altitude. And wow. so to do that, because when you're at 25,000 feet, you, ha- you can see that horizon. That's a long ways away, you know, and to, for something to dip- disappear like that that quickly it was, I mean, he'll, he, he's never forgotten it. And he you tries know? to debunk no, nobody it. Ever he does. says, like, was it re- a reflection? But no, not no, because yeah, someone else, he, you know, the other pilot and the other aircraft saw it. So it couldn't have been reflection on the windshield. It couldn't have been ball lightning, you know. He talk- yeah, he talks about all the phenomena that they do see up there. You know, they, those pilots see all kinds of stuff, satellite reentries and, you know, uh, meteorites and, and, you know, seeing almost fire on the windshield. Called, right. I mean, all kinds of different things, ball lightning. Uh, but this was not any of those things. And anyway, that, that, that was kind of a big shift for me was, was the, the weight of all of it. It wasn't just, uh, wasn't just the kids. It wasn't just a few people. There was quite a bit and somebody, you know, Johannesburg had it on their radar, you know, cause the pilot, mm. when he landed, he went up to the tower and say, Hey, have you seen anything on your radar? Cause we went, something came by us. And it was ridiculous. And he said, yeah, we did actually see something on the edge of our radar, but it was moving so quickly. We couldn't get any idea on it at all. You know, I I, got to ask, do you guys assume or maybe that's a a bad word, but do you guys think that the that this thing that these pilots saw is the same craft or light vehicle that landed at the school? Don't know. Don't know. The timing's really you know, the pilots that night before, and then you have uh, one of the neighbors at Ariel seeing it in the morning around six o'clock in the morning. Hmm. Uh, it does make me wonder. You also have another radar controller from uh, South America the night before also who viewed this bizarre thing that was changing altitude, you know, went from a very high altitude to an extremely low altitude in a very short period of time. And that's what caught their attention. So, I mean, all, all I can judge from that is something was happening in those skies yeah. that was unusual. And Ariel kind of connects all those dots. Like, 
as far as I know, this this thing didn't you know come on the ground in any other place. I don't know, but yeah, yeah so so yeah. weird. We have to take a very quick break. Okay. Uh, I, I don't want to stop this con- the momentum of this conversation, but we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a lot more to talk about, including I know Bryce wants to get to him, uh, John E. Mack and his involvement in mm. the case. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. back we're speaking with randall nickerson and rebecca right out from the film aerial phenomenon uh rebecca right before we went to break we were talking about uh stuff being up in the skies at night and i think you're uh i, I cut you yeah, off i was just about to say as you can see there's a lot of extra footage <laughs> that didn't make the film i mean there's hundreds of hours of footage where do you make these decisions so you can hear the pilot one line from his interview at the beginning of the film um but of course we have that interview um, you know, and the weaving of all of the archival footage that we had, we wanted the the event to sort of unfold in real time um, in order of how the investigators appeared. Um, and, and it does, but we had to jump back and forth between that and um, current day interviews with the students and then weaving together as we're going to talk about Dr. John Mack, Tim Leach and aerial student Emily Trim. So that was the challenge, and a lot of things ended up on the cutting room floor. I mean, it's wild <laughs> how much footage there is. It's a big is. story. It's, I mean, this could be a miniseries, honestly. Yeah, but you, I felt you guys did a really good job of getting it into, uh, what, 100 minutes? So it's not even a long movie. <laughs> and And the most fascinating stuff, too, I think also hinges on finding those uh, – adults now who were the children and seeing where they are in their lives now and seeing how they remember it. There's that great the trauma scene. induced. Yeah. Yeah. The trauma, the wonder, all of it. Cause it seems to have impacted everybody differently as well. Um, I guess that's a good segue into John Max role into it. Um, Bryce, did you want to cue up anything about Johnny Mac? Well, sure. I mean, I guess I under from what I understand is it, is it was Tim uh, who reached out to uh, Dr. John Mack, who was the head of psychiatry at Harvard, and who was introduced to the UFO topic and phenomenon through his uh, friend Bud Hopkins. Uh, so, but this is really like bringing in a heavy hitter. And I even think you know when John Mack kind of arrived on the scene, he was like, well. Uh, I've never dealt with something like this before, but he just dove right in. And and can you talk to us a little bit about maybe what he brought to the table that nobody else was? Yeah. So, I mean, John Mack, he brought in uh, the fact that he was, you know, had worked with kids for 20 years I mean, as a, a clinician. Uh, and, you know, he, of course, the man has accolades. You just go on Harvard's website. <laughs> you can see who that man was. Um but he brought in, uh, he was very curious about the subject matter. And Bud Hopkins had introduced him to several people who had had encounters. And, and uh, John Mack put them through a bunch of psychological tests and 
questioned them, met with them, and then and came to the conclusion, temporary, you know, a, a, a po- posited, you know, I guess that's the proper word, where he said these people are talking about something real that mm. happened to them, mm. not. They're not taught. This isn't psychosis. This isn't, you know, he went down the list of all the things that he was very familiar with. Um, And then he started to travel uh, to other countries to see if this was just a United States thing, you know. So he went to South America and then he took that trip to Africa. Tim Leach, the BBC war reporter, called him on that Friday. Believe it or not, that the message is in the movie. That's the actual message. He calls Dr. Mack. <laughs> Thank God people save things. Um, he calls him and Wild. says, look, man, <laughs> this just happened. I uh, really would like you to give us, give me a call. Don't know what to do here. I'm a little out of my league, you know. And uh, somebody had given him his, his number. Like, this guy is really, like, top notch, and he's looking into these kind of things. And then John Mack was over there December 1st. Um, yeah, it was sometime after. but About three months, yeah. Since the because the incident happened in what September, September sixteenth, yeah. So did the thing that's really interesting, and I knew a little bit about this because of what Bryce had shared on the episodes before with John Mack is, and you really get a sense of it in the film is like how hard Harvard threw him under the bus once he started talking about this stuff. And there's that archival footage of that other Harvard professor who's like, oh, John's gone off the deep end, and it made me so mad <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> watching that and, it, and but I, I wondered i guess because i never there was never a moment in the film where john in the archival footage obviously since he passed you didn't get to interview him directly sadly but there never seems to be a moment where he comes right out and says i think these are aliens he just supports the notion of like something's happening to these people and it's worth figuring out what it is because it's clearly part of the human experience did he ever to our knowledge come out and and it, i'm okay with it if he did but did he ever come out and be like aliens are real they're really a, this is a real they're really you know landing here where did he end up with all this stuff i, I don't think- know because i haven't read his books so i'm gonna let randall answer that <laughs> fair enough, fair enough i think he um he did state a few times uh Earlier on, I think that he thought that whatever they're experiencing was real. And, and, and his sort of statement was what it is, that's what we can debate. Right. You know, and I, I think after the Harvard whole craziness, when Harvard went after him, uh, I think he became much more careful of how he said, uh, Mm. spoke about this, uh, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, and he, and I and I like his point. Like, yeah, I cannot clinically explain this. A lot of people can't. So, what is it? You know, are we going to just write off? You know, the latest ones. It used to be schizophrenia. Believe it or not, mm. these yeah. people had schizophrenia, and now it's false memory syndrome. Now it's you know, it's uh, I, think the, I think. The- I think the guy at the Harvard Disciplinary Board said, John, if you would have said this is just some unknown psychopathy and not little green aliens, we wouldn't have had a problem. Uh, But but John was like, bullshit, that's not how it works. And I actually have a quote here from from John. Uh, He says, quote, I take these accounts seriously. 
I would never say, yes, there are aliens taking people, but I would say there is a compelling, powerful phenomenon here that I can't account for in any other way that's mysterious, yet I can't know what it is, but it seems to me that it invites a deeper, further inquiry, which was what he was trying yeah. to do. And we so often say there's no scientists and professionals willing to take a look at this, and when they do, we just throw them under the bus. Uh, luckily, Harvard uh, lawyer Alan Dershowitz uh, came to his aid, and and they had to back off pretty quickly because he was a tenured professor allowed to... Uh, you know, study whatever the hell he pleases. But, but, uh, you what know, he I, was fighting against in his career was, you know, the, the religion of science that's sort mm. of like taken over this century, scienceism, I guess. Yeah, and just look, asking people to, yeah, to, to step back a little bit from that. And well, he's like, also you know, that's up the against, view. he's also up against the media too, who are, you know, when you, I mean, it's, Great that Oprah has him on and that people are getting exposed to this story, but there is still that stigma in the media as well. And I feel like the media, especially in the 90s, didn't do a great job of helping him make the case. They were like, Harvard professor believes in aliens. You know what I mean? So he's getting it. music, right. Like, (laughs) I don't feel like he was trying to brag, you know, but they really made, because that's a headline. You know what I mean? If you've got a show, you're like, that's a way to spin (laughs) that story. It's like, wow, we, we usually point at people who believe in aliens and make fun of them and say they're wearing tinfoil hats. So every headline is playing up that he's a Harvard professor. And I think that didn't help him and didn't help the school embrace him either. So it was just this really shitty system trying to, you know, that's working against him at both ends. I feel like. Well, Rebecca, I want to piggyback off what you were saying, because I think it's an interesting segue. And I know John Mack felt that that there might be a spiritual component to this to this phenomenon that's taking place. I know in your film, uh, when you speak to some of those elders and the chiefs, they they say right there, you know, this is this is here for a spiritual message from you guys for you guys, you know, and and there and 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 it also brings up an interesting point about uh you know, their, their their elder chiefs were buried right just over the overlook of where they took place. Did you guys ever get a sense that uh, that there might be some type of spiritual component to this thing that was taking place? I mean, Randall's got a great interview with one of the spiritual leaders there. Yeah, so I think – I definitely think it's part of the culture there to um, believe in more things than we can see – more readily than our culture does. Mm. And not necessarily jump to, they're aliens from outer space. Yeah, I mean, Randall, you've watched the interview that I'm referring to more often, um, so you'd know more about what he says, but, I mean, it seems like it's, it's it almost hardly surprises them <laughs> that this <Yeah>. happened. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I inv- interviewed a, uh, several chiefs, and one of the most interesting one was Credo Mutua. He was the... Um, you know, the, the knowledge keeper for the Zulu people. And uh, I didn't know what he was going to say, <laughs> but uh, John Mack had interviewed him a long time ago and uh, he had had some kind of experience with these things. And he, he said, because he was running a clinic for people in, in his village. I went to his village in Kuruman and he was running a clinic for people that had encountered them. So he had like seven rooms off of his rondavel for people that had uh, run into these things. And he said, uh, you know, we've known about them for thousands of years. And he said, 
we used to think they were gods. Wow. And he said, we don't anymore, but we used to. And I wow. found that so interesting. Like from somebody that's been entrusted with the history of that tribe, which is no small group of people, uh, that they've come to that, you know, not just him, the other elders have come to that conclusion. That's um, wild. But yeah, it, it's, it's more over here. It's, it's different. People are very, uh, they're just much more open. I find in Africa and, and other countries, um, less stigmatism, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I find it even here, like most of the people I've seen stuff just don't say anything, you know, yeah. they'll come up to me and say, Hey man, I saw something too, but don't say anybody, don't tell anybody. Right. <laughs> Cause that yeah. stigma that we're talking secret. about. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't fit the rational world, the conventional world that we've all decided somebody decided we have to live in. I want to get back to something that we touched on in the first half of the show, because this, and I know, Bryce, you felt the same way, the stuff where they talk about, and the thing that I thought was so interesting is like, you hear the kids try to articulate what these beings were and how they moved. They kept talking about how they moved in slow mm. motion and the man ran back to the ship and he didn't float or he didn't, he didn't run. And then, then as the adults, they're like able to articulate these things a little better. And you really get this awesome sense that these beings were like looping in time, mm. almost like they were like, we'd see them come up to us and then they, this one would run back to the ship, and then all of a sudden he'd be back to where he was, and we'd watch him run back to the ship over and over again, almost like you're skipping, you know, something's buffering or skipping or replaying, and that right. really captured my imagination. That's and, a clue. And really, yeah. Yeah, that really mm -hmm. makes me feel like, okay, this is something maybe just overlaying with our reality here that might not even be from this dimension at all. I mean, that's where my mind goes. What, what, what mm. was your take on that stuff? Yeah. Those moments that I hadn't and since haven't heard described, um, that the looping, the, the slow motion, um, the woman who describes it looking more natural, like a rock with the, water the craft, flowing yeah. over it with the sun, shining off of right the craft having sort of this yeah. this more natural look things like that that i'd never heard before i've never heard since are definitely but they the take on blew my it, mind <laughs> yeah i felt like that to me i was like this that's real true high strangeness there that mm. is this dreamlike right? yeah, yeah this really weird dreamlike quality that people often experience when encountering this stuff and i loved i can't remember who it was uh i think it was one of the adult women uh, who was a child at the time? It was like when you, you would you, when you looked at their face and looked into their eyes, you were getting these. You know, there was a boy as well who talked about looking into the eyes and getting these like doomsday, almost doomsday messages about us doing a bad job of caretaking the earth. But one of the adult, now adult women, was saying, if you looked at them, you were sort of transported. But if you looked away, you would come back to reality. But when you looked mm. back at their face and made eye contact with them, suddenly you were almost in this dream world again, or reality, you know, the world of the, the, the laws of physics would change. That blew my mind, you know? Yeah, it's pretty, there's some pretty weird things that they witnessed. Um, yeah, the, uh, 
the in and out of time. Uh, there's a lot of little things that they describe as well that are not in the film, but just fascinating. Um, it's been yeah. interesting listening to the podcast at two years after starting working on this film and starting to hear all the <laughs> similarities in high strangeness stories, the, the timey wimeyness of it all, you mm. know, whether it's mm. Skinwalker Ranch or, um, I don't know, ghosts that loop. I mean, it's, it definitely, yeah, my mind continues to be blown as I hear high strangeness stories that relate to this one. For sure. And the sound, the sound that they described the also caught my attention yeah. to the sound of a flute or one described it as the humming of bees. You know, in Hinduism, the humming of bees relates to a kundalini awakening, almost like an altered state of consciousness, mm -hmm. as if these this vehicle and these entities were able to grab or ascertain this different state of awareness uh, just by either looking into their eyes or through sound cues. Uh, but well, it, and then it, the, it, it's the flute reminds me of the Pied Piper of the Hamlet, Hamlet. Yeah. taking the kids away from mm -hmm. the village. They're all following yeah. the music away. And uh, it's an abduction story. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, a mysterious, <laughs> mysterious man comes and takes all the kids. Um, it's of such that stuff is so mind bending. And I that's when I really like I, that's where it just loses me. <laughs> not, not the mm. film doesn't lose me, but I lose it. I'm like, I don't know what's happening here. It was, how did you Randall, like as a director putting together a narrative and you're presented with like, okay, now this stuff is just getting absurd. How do you, how do you handle this material, you know, and make sense of it? Well, it's interesting. You bring that up. Like, you know, part of it, you know, there's all these short creatures around the world that are in our folklore, you know, leprechauns. And in Africa, it was called the tokolosh, the small mm -hmm. creature. People would put their beds, and they still do today, up on cinder blocks so they can raise their bed so the tokolosh can't get them at night. Oh, boy. <laughs> and the tokolosh comes through walls. The tokolosh, I mean, it's like... Even when I when I interviewed Credo Mutua about that, he said, "No, the Tuckalosh is an alien." <laughs> I was mm. like, "Okay, that's kind of <laughs> what I was thinking," but oh my god! Wow. Um, and and it does make you think about all the stories, you know, of these things that come in the night and take you away, and uh, and how they're usually not very tall. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, there was a lot to you know the Tuckalosh about this small creature in Africa that's has a reputation. Um, you know, we did like a 20 minute section on just that, you know, mm. and that ended up on the cutting room floor. Cause it's wow, just I'd like, love to see that. We, yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. Cause it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, there's some connection there, you know, and, uh, there's a lot of those things, uh, to come up with, uh, you know, really what I felt like, and this was with Chris Seward and everybody on the crew, was I wanted to really tell a movie like you'd tell any other story about some something happened to anybody else, right? And luckily, there was so much footage that I had all first-person, mm. all first-person testimony. So that's hard because you know that's probably one of the hardest movies to make is to to tell the whole movie from the witnesses' mouths, you know, without interjecting, without doing anything. Let them tell it, you know, and uh, I felt that was like 
the the best way to do it. And and there's so many other witnesses to this. You know, there was a cameraman who was uh, a very excellent uh, witness because he works for National Geographic. He was on the scene. He said, "I've never been on a something happened there because the wildlife was just not right." Whoa. You know? It's almost it's almost like the yeah. Phoenix Lights in size of proportion. I mean, this is like. This is, you know, what people know about the Phoenix Lights. They're like, oh, just a, just one ship flying over the city, right? No, it was like a parade of like, it was just some cosmic event. Like, it sounds like what happened, uh, you know, in, in Rua it, it was more than just the landing at the school, but some type of significant, significant event that was taking place. Mm-hmm. It's funny, That's kind true. of make- it kind of makes you wonder if uh, maybe a craft landed somewhere during the Phoenix Lights uh, incident and interacted with somebody and they now. just didn't ever want to tell the story because they didn't want to sound nuts, you know? Yeah, Randall, I mean, it was you're a heading big deal. to Phoenix. <laughs> He's been there. <laughs> He's been I actually there. went to Phoenix already yeah. and I went and I talked to the police department. I just, yeah. I was going through Phoenix and I was like, all right, I'm, I, I got to ask some people about this. <laughs> and I went to the police department and talked to two police officers and I said, you know, did this happen? And they're like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm like, good enough for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, One? I didn't want to do a deep dive on it, but I just wanted to get, like when I went over to the crop circles, check that stuff out. I went to the airport, talked to the instructors, the pilots. And I said, is this for real or what? Because I had been there for like a week looking into it and they're like, yeah, there's something to it. Because, you know, we stop flying at 8, 9 o'clock at night. And we get up in the morning at 6 to fly. And there's six of them, seven of them, yeah. all yeah. down. It's like, you know, how many people? There'd have to be teams of people doing this. And they're absolutely, you know, they were describing the ones that are done by people and the ones that are absolutely flawless. There's mm-hmm. a really big difference. But anyway, so, yeah, I do look into the that yeah, stuff. And it was, speaking of Phoenix Lights, I mean, it was a big deal at the time. It was covered worldwide. That's how we got so much archival footage because, you know, many, many countries covered it. And then we wow. all forgot about it again. It's so crazy. Yeah. It also, it reminds me of the Virginia, uh, Brazil UFO landing as well. And of course, Roswell, you know, the Roswell legend. But the big thing that those two incidents have that this one doesn't really seem to have is a large military presence coming in and shutting every everything down Mm. you know uh, i mean was there were there any stories of families being threatened not to talk or people being told not to share this at all or because it seems like it it seems as terrifying as it would be for the kids and i and i know it must have been uh for some of them it seems like an overall fairly peaceful event you know True. Uh, I, I think, you know, Tim Leach shared with me that there were people from the American embassy and the English embassy that paid him a visit. Mm. I didn't put it in the film. I didn't want to really get into conspiracy anything, but uh, he yeah. would have, he, he, you know, maybe I should put that piece of the interview out there at some point where he talks about that. And they wanted a copy of everything, you know, every, every note he took, every phone call, every recording. Uh, and he felt very intimidated by it and he still you know till his death talked about it because wow, it bothered strange. him um, yeah and then the then he went sorry oh, rebecca i just wanted to the the tim went to the the military in zimbabwe and they said their radar was down right uh south africa kind of said the same thing and then people were reporting there's there were fighter jets flying really low up and down the valley <laughs> You know, wow. <laughs> there's many reports of that. So 
there was something going on, but it wasn't, uh, you know, hmm. it, it, it hasn't been talked about. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I just think we, there's, I mean, it, I think all the research happened earlier than when I came on, but it seemed like there are a few things like that that are still a little conspiratorial and not proven. So we didn't we decided not to put them in. Well, that's good. That's smart. I, it's just fascinating that I was like, oh, this case really doesn't have the like knocking on the doors and be like, don't tell anybody. What, you know what I mean? Right, they're no, like, like, that's why they decided to land there during a uh, wage meeting and <laughs> at recess. <laughs> yeah. like, okay. The military apparatus is pretty <laughs> low cool. here. All right. There's <laughs> kids. Recess. Cool. We got yeah. about three minutes to do our thing. Unfortunately, we are, we've run out of time. I mean, we, we, need to uh, we could uh, talk about this we barely scratched the surface you guys this movie course. is so interesting this case i think is endlessly fascinating Seminal. uh i felt like you did such an amazing job assembling this story and getting especially getting that archival footage out to us tracking down some of these now uh, adult witnesses eyewitnesses just a there's so many great things about the movie that that we didn't even get to so let Please tell our listeners uh, where they can find the movie and uh, where they can find you guys and your work. Uh, the, the the stage is yours. Okay. Well, you can follow Aerial Phenomenon at Aerial Phenomenon. It's spelled A-R-I-E-L because it's the name of the school. Aerial Phenomenon on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We have a YouTube channel. Um and you can rent or buy the film on our website. We get a little bit more kickback that way. Um, and you can also find it on iTunes, Amazon Prime, Video Direct, Google Play, and YouTube, depending on what country you're in. Details I watched it on, on Amazon Prime. I, <laughs> yes. I, I bought the movie. I own it now. Me too. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say Rebecca has been amazingly helpful, you know, in, uh, helping this film uh, get completed. Uh, there's a lot of people to thank, but I just wanted to point out that she's been very, uh, just amazingly professional and uh, extremely helpful. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope people will get a chance to see it. It's, uh, I think it's important, you know, in, his, in our history, really, you know, on a bigger scale. I think, uh, you know, maybe down the road, our history is going to have to be rewritten a little bit. You know, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be weird. Things are only going to get weirder. Uh, and I know I'm Club Scouts, this is, I would say this is uh, not recommended viewing. This is required viewing. So go go check mm -hmm. this out. You guys you guys are going to want to check this movie out for, for sure. Randall, Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll uh, tag all your stuff on Instagram as well so people will be able to find you. And we'll put a link to the film's web website in the show notes for our listeners as well. Excellent. Thanks for having us on. Hey, I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for what you guys do and did. It's incredible. Okay, my dear Club Scouts, before we bid adieu for the week, if you love the show, please follow, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. If you write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, we Apple might... Sauce. Did somebody say Apple? No. Uh, no <laughs> get out of here, Applesauce. We might read it on the show. Like these. We're doing two this week. Yeah, because why not? KDH wrote, 
I love these guys. These dudes are the best. They are truly passionate about all their content and make it so enjoyable to listen to. Each one of these guys brings so much to this show, and their humor seriously gets me through the day. I've been binging this podcast from episode one and even listened to it while in labor with my daughter. I'm (laughs) that addicted. Give it a try. You won't regret it. Thanks, Katie and, uh, and newborn. Whoa, the doctor that's cool. held the baby and went, this baby's already weird. What happened? What have you been listening to? Uh, well, I'll add to that that Oblivion E46 writes, Amazing pod. Found you guys on Distractable, but I've been a believer of high strangeness since I was very young. Love the energy and connection of you guys and the guests. I have some stories of my own I'll be sending for some L-files. Thank you for the content. Five stars. Yes. yes. This is the type those L file yes. story. And, mm-hmm. and and start having your babies to the sounds of our voices. <laughs> uh, but please do send in your stories to Bigfoot Collectors Club at gmail.com. I have to say that we've been getting flooded, flooded this past month with amazing mm-hmm. stories. And I'm so excited. Uh Club Scouts, y'all are really delivering. Be sure to include the phrase L files in the subject line. It might be it might just be read in a future episode. And look, if you don't, I'll find it, but it just helps me organize everything. Okay, guys? Uh, mm. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club, Twitter at Bigfoot Pod, and on TikTok at BCC Pod. It's been a slow burn over there, but, uh, you know, I'm working I'm working on it. I'm playing around. We're doing it. Yeah. We're doing it. We're figuring you, it out. We're doing it. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing something. We're doing it. Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> oh, I got to, like, shower and shave and sit and talk to myself. This is weird. It's, it doesn't seem weird when we're just doing it. I am alone right now in my house, but it somehow feels less strange. Uh, right. And also, don't forget to order some merch over at the store at store.bigfootcollectorsclub.com. Finally. If you want more BCC every month and you want to join us on that ghost quest, join our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, for three additional exclusive episodes every month over at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. And this is for me. Follow me on McMills on Instagram and hit me up on Cameo, Fire Parts Lines video from me to you or a loved one. Bryce, what do you got? Hey, uh, like Rebecca said, follow those Ariel Phenomenon accounts and and rent or watch the movie. Uh, It's so worth it. You guys will absolutely love it. And it's important. And you know what? We talked a lot about Johnny Mac. Uh, We also covered him on BCC episode number 16 with special guest Maria Thayer. Uh, If you want to hear more about Dr. John Mac's work. The early days, so don't be too judgmental. (laughs) We were uh, just sort of figuring things out. But give it a listen. Those are in yep. the and that was in the Michael really interrupts years. <laughs> oh yeah. That was a classic Michael phase. <laughs> We've come so far. We got a little taste of it at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> you were excited. <laughs> Very excited. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Peace Drone. And uh, I'm also on Cameo. I'll sing you a song. It's a lot of fun. Maybe even maybe make a nice Valentine's Day. I'll sing a little romantic song. Who Aww. knows? I don't know. Ooh. Uh, what, and, what happens uh, if they fall in love with you? I'm sorry, I'm spoken for. But oh. uh, you can also check out a lot of music. It is a growing pile over on the Cosmeteer. That's there is true. a bunch of scores from the show. There is uh, exclusive demos that I haven't released anywhere else of my own solo music. There's an entire album that I lost uh, seven years ago and just found. Eight years Loving ago? that yeah. album, by the way. I've been writing yeah. to it lately. Kicking nice. Love yeah, it's album. like ambient surf music. It's great. Oh, for the, sure. 
you know, great to chill slash study slash relax to. Oh, yeah. So, you um, can have yeah, your own BCC lo-fi cafe. You can be your own BCC lo-fi girl. <laughs> you really While you're having a baby. Or non-binary <laughs> okay. friend. Or you're having a baby. Yeah. Great. If anyone has a baby to my ambient music, please send don't, me an email. Don't you want your baby's ears, the first thing they hear, is not the the love of a mother or a father's cooing voices, <laughs> no, the no. ambient sounds of Riley Bray? <laughs> yeah. All right, we're headed over to the other side right now for a fun-sized story of high strangeness featuring a very creepy and obscure close encounter. If we don't see you there, we'll see you back here next Wednesday for an all-new episode of BCC. Until then, good night, and go get regressed. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash bigfootcollectorsclub. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.